Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> uh, our man from the countryside, I think. Plenty of room for donkey jokes in there as well. Uh, we'll, ex- we'll explain the horse reference in a minute. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Ruck, the new rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Owen Slot, Chief Rugby Correspondent of The Times, and I'm your podcast governor for the week. In search of truth and understanding, in the proud, perplexing, elegant, entangled world of rugby, this week we have gone to greater lengths than ever. We have found that there is life outside of the Six Nations. We've been to Offenbach in Germany. We've been watching the horses run and refining our true understanding of a thoroughbred rugby player. We even have a link to our studio in Scotland. This podcast is finally complete now that we have Mark Palmer, the Scottish rugby correspondent of the Sunday Times, hooked up from our Edinburgh studio. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Good morning. What does the studio look like? Mm, Very grey, I'd have to say. It's your front room, isn't it? (laughs) No, no, it is actually the office, so they've seen me for the first time this year. Fantastic. I hope you're getting on with them well. Indeed. Uh, Our other guest today, straight out of his jodhpurs and armed with tips for Cheltenham, (laughs) an age-old rugby writer who switched to the GGs last year when he found two-horse races too easy to call. Uh, Mark Suster, welcome. How many years did you write rugby for the Times? 22, I think. I'm slightly overweight now, that's why... um, I had to go to the horses because uh, they found an old an old dobbin which could carry me. Well, I think you're looking fantastic. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for what you said earlier. <laughs> and of course, we have our regular this week, Stephen Jones, uh, rugby correspondent at the Sunday Times. Uh, Jonesy, you thought you'd covered every blade of international rugby until you were sent last weekend to cover Belgium against Germany. Germany against Belgium in Offenbach, that is. Uh Jonesy, in a perfect world, and you're in charge of the Sunday Times expenses, where would you go next? The place I've never been, I've always wanted to cover rugby is Samoa. It may not be the most um, luxurious 10-star existence out there, Owen, but um, I've always wanted to go there because it's a heartbeat of rugby. But actually, so was Germany. It's just amazing that rugby people are very, very much the same the world over. They all go along with families, and um, they just react like everybody everybody reacts. I think Samoa, I would love it to be my next stop, and I'll be seeing the um, uh, powers that be and accountants uh, to see if I can go tomorrow. Okay. In, in our fantasy world of expenses uh, my, my trip is to the Las Vegas Sevens next year which was over the weekend um, just a trip that I think one has to do at some stage Mark what about yourself? 
Well, well, for me, and I think probably quite pertinent given the whole discussion about whether the Six Nations should be expanded, I've, I would love to go to Tbilisi and say, see Georgia play Russia. Yeah. 60,000, 70,000 people. It's bonkers. Georgia, we've seen articles about um, people ready to put 10, 20 million into it. And I think there'll be a fantastic addition as and when the Six Nations decides whether they should expand. So that would be my uh, on my wish list, my bucket list. Good one. Good nice one. one. Nice one. And Mark? A slightly more interesting, or an interesting one for me, anyway. The Bahamas now. Uh, I Get out of here! Yeah, <laughs> George Hunter he was a, a jobbing tighthead for for Air and um, Glasgow Warriors briefly. Uh, last year, discovered that he had eligibility to play for the Bahamas and went and made his debut last year against Mexico in the South. Uh, Thirty-five degrees at kickoff uh, and had a great couple of weeks there when otherwise we'd have been in the freezing cold winter. So I think I would like to track his next game if possible, Steve. Uh, it, was, it was an interesting story that. His, his granddad had actually gone out there to, to launch the Bank of England in the Bahamas, uh, had to come back to Britain during the Second World War, um, and of three boats that left the capital, only one made it back with him on it. And that's how George got his, uh, his uh, ever so strong link to the Bahamas. Okay, I'm going to the Bahamas with you. I, I, I understand the managing editor does download this podcast, so uh, we, sh- we should all be off. Uh, uh, great trip planted the, the seed. We we'll planted be off somewhere, seed. but it might not be the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> Kinsale Sevens, our favourite. There's another Kinsale Seven and the Bournemouth Sevens. I've yeah. got my caravan pass yeah, I always go in a tent to that one. Yeah. <laughs> We've got uh, the fourth round of the Six Nations coming out this weekend. This has been a... Most of us in in the game at the moment are enjoying the Six Nations, I think, as, as much as ever. There's a certain smugness around that we think we've got something really, really good this time round. So, so Seuss, you are now a, a, a racing correspondent. Uh, you last covered the Six Nations as a journalist three years ago. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, from, from, from the safe distance that you are, uh, uh, with your crop and your riding hat, and you're, <laughs> and you're looking on, uh, you're looking, I'm a form book. You're looking on from the gallops. Do, do, do you think we're, we're right to be feeling as happy about the Six Nations Championship this year as we are? Yes, I, I, I genuinely do because I'm utterly delighted having worked up there and covered Scottish rugby for four years in the mid '90s to see them um, their resurgence. Vern Cotter is an outstanding individual obviously and they've been putting ground putting the foundations in place over the last three or four years the talent is coming through and they're not just a team that relied on its traditional old sort of fast rucking game and great loose forwards it now has a back division and an attacking division which is at the match of any other uh, any other nation Wales um, their demise I think is or their slight downward trajectory is is not um, not something I'm surprised about I think they've been far too predictable England we we know about um in terms of what, what's quite interesting is the reaction of England to when they were slightly in adversity in that first half against Italy. And um, and, and it's interesting to see Eddie's reaction to that, which was probably slightly out of character. And I think he used that to deflect from from the shortcomings in, in terms of England, how, how long they took to react to that. France... They promised a lot in the first game and the tailing off, but there's still the excitement in Ireland, of course, which uh, you know they, they, they've got a whole good crop of youngsters coming through. So it, it is exciting. I think it's re- reignited and re-engaged the public. T- totally agree with that, Mark. I, I don't know what uh, what uh, Mark Palmer thinks, but um, if I've never experienced so many people who don't know anything about rugby 
um, or, or, or don't follow the game, you know, saying, oh, it's a Six Nations week and knowing it is, and saying, oh, you'll be busy, it's, it's that rugby and all, and all that. It's It's been terrific. I think it was foreseeable because um, no longer are the top three nations in the world all in the Southern Hemisphere. No, arguably two of the top three are in the, are in the uh, Northern Hemisphere, which is tremendous. So it's been good. I think it's been attractive. Uh, you know, attendances have been fantastic. Uh, there's been stories of which Italy uh, created one of their own, I thought, quite brilliantly. And uh, it's, I loved it. Loved it. Uh, I think what one of the things we need to be careful about is the suggestion is that to, to accommodate a, a global season that suits that the Six Nations somehow has to be condensed from from a seven week thing, which is perfect. Now I think it allows people to recover. It allows you know teams to to you know. Um, who haven't perhaps got the strength in depth to actually um, deal with any sort of serious injuries. And I think we've really got to be careful that international rugby is the watchword of the game. It is the engine that drives the game and anything that compromises and I think has to, world rugby has to really take a look at. I, th- I think compromise is the right word because that's what will happen. They're, people want it to go under five straight weeks. They won't do that. They'll find something in the middle. It'll be six. Well, that's what I, I'm absolutely convinced that will happen. Well, 2020 six nations six weeks six weeks championship what three three yeah three and then a break and then three more yeah just ridiculous you're killing the goose that lays the golden egg I think there are two million internationals but the six nations is not is um it's not excessive and uh, I actually think it was better when it was stretched out even further so I think this is the absolute least time you can hold it over that they're doing it this year absolutely otherwise but you get to game three or four you'd be on your backside yeah exactly and think World Rugby are duty-bound to take that on board, and I think Bill and Augustine now, who run it, yeah. do, do understand the importance of that. Good. Saturday, the big game, clearly, is uh, England against Scotland, the resurgent Scots. Uh, Mark, from where, you're, from where you're sitting in your, in your Edinburgh studio, as we like to call it, to what extent are you buying in to this idea of, of, of the, that Scotland have turned around, that the good days are ahead? I think there's certainly a lot more substantial evidence than there was maybe six or seven months ago. As uh, other Mark was saying there, there was a feeling that something was building over that World Cup period. Even the Six Nations two years ago when they were whitewashed, uh, there were some narrow defeats in there and a sense that there was an edge emerging and also some uh, some very talented players under the tutelage of Vern Cotter. I think that November series just there probably uh, was the tipping point when they won that game against Argentina not playing well but found a way to win it rather than lose it, which is the the customary pattern with Scotland uh, and then to go and beat Ireland took that on a step further but I think the Welsh win was probably the most important of the lot in that they backed it up uh, in, in a way that they haven't done certainly against Wales for a decade but you know to have two home wins like that um, back to back really did feel like a, a bit of tangible proof that it's gone in the direction we all thought it was uh, I have to say going to Twickenham I'd be a lot more happy if Greg Laidlaw was there as well as Willem Nell and Alistair Dickinson but you can't have it all I don't think you can overemphasize the importance of Scotland beating Ireland when Ireland were coming back and looked like they were going to win. Scotland of old would have lost that game. Mm, so that, I think mentally that has been a huge sea change for them and I think they'll only kick on and get better and I think Vern Cottage should be the Lions coach. The guy who typifies it for me is Finn Russell. Finn Russell is the greatest Scotland player I've seen since John Rutherford, and John Rutherford is one of the greatest I've seen in any. Gregor Townsend in, in, in any walk of Gregor was was, was more Mercurial. than mid, mid. Yeah, no, I and mean, Gregor was a fantastic player as well, but not always. Do you know what Gregor Townsend is your Lions coach as well? Well, he should be there as the attack coach because I think, uh, as we've seen, the paucity. Sorry, I'm distracting. Well, you just you. come in from the race course. You completely <laughs> redesigned the whole Lions tour. Well, absolutely. No one's going to listen to me though. But <laughs> of course, we are. Dumb. 
describing. Um, anyway, as I said before, I was so rudely interrupted by Lester Piggott there. Um, I think Finn Russell has got this this unbelievable attitude to it. He goes out there, he expects to do well, he expects to win. Even if Scotland concede, he expects them to bounce back. And I just think that is the, the sort of attitude that they've lacked for so long. And I, I, I absolutely love him. And um, I just hope he holds it together at Trickenham and it's very, very tight. I have a theory that actually Scotland were better without grade leg law. You've almost said the opposite. But uh, I, I think they have a more exciting scrum half who's got a better service and, and threatens more. I think they've got leadership in Barclay. And Finn Russell kicked his kicks the other day. Are, are they not better with that? Tell me I'm wrong. Possibly, possibly. I, I, the very point that Steve has just made about Finn Russell is one of the reasons I like having Greg Laidlaw there and that he does kind of rein him in slightly. It is more kind of flamboyant excesses uh, when he's starting to look at aeroplanes and whatnot flying past. He does kind of bring him back down to earth. Um, however, having said that, I Price, I thought, stepped up very well against Wales, brought a different dimension. Will actually back himself. He saw some of the sniping breaks that were rivaling those of Reese Webb. Um, and there was more tempo to the, to the game there. Um, and it also has forced Scotland to wean themselves off Greg in a way that was always going to have to happen, I think, ahead of the next World Cup when he'll be 33. Uh, John Bartley did step up in a leadership point of view. Both Greys did as well. Richie, particularly, has a real kick up the backside since Johnny started showing him up. Uh, and as you said, Finn Russell kicked his goals so you know maybe sometimes when these things are forced upon you it's the best way because you, you just have to react my slight concern about Finn Russell he's a very much a confidence player and I think England are going to really have a go at him on mm. Saturday and I think he, he can get lost if things I think uh, if things don't go his way he's a very good front foot player and where when Scotland are playing well you see him to the fore but I'm just concerned in an attritional battle whether he'll he'll stand up to the mark Mark I just wondered um, do, do enough Scots in your opinion believe that they can win at Twickenham to enable them to win that's going to I suppose the proof will be in the pudding but I, I genuinely think there is a belief in this team that hasn't been previous years a lot of them went through the motions of saying that they did believe it and I think this lot aren't bound by what's gone before there's a quiet sort of confidence there there's some real kind of guys who tread that line between confidence and arrogance pretty well a bit of swagger like Stuart Hogg Finn Russell Ali Price himself and they genuinely don't seem to be bound by any of the past failures you saw that with that you know Ireland was the first opening day win in 11 years hadn't beaten Wales for 10 years they just kind of shrug these things off uh, there's a real kind of nice confidence to it now which again is quite unscottish, but it's pleasing to see Mark Seuss has already decided that Vern Cotter is going to be the Lions coach which is a, an interesting shout he, he, it <laughs> should, d- should have been <laughs> it, it, it does seem it does seem extraordinary given given the way the conversation's going that Vern Cotter's leaving was there was there never a way that, that, that Vern and Gregor Townsend could work together in tandem because surely that it, it, that that's the that's the golden duo isn't it I think so and I think it basically came down to a straight choice between Gregor and Vern and the SRU pick Gregor in that uh, he's the homegrown coach as you know there hasn't exactly been a, a plethora of, of yeah, I get that coaches. but what about both of uh, them together well true but I think it boiled down to Gregor saying that if um, if he wasn't given that job at this point in time he would probably have gone off and sought pastors new which I would argue would probably actually have been a good thing for him at age 43, 44 whatever he is now uh, to go off and get another 
four years under his belt somewhere else, let Vern take the through to the next World Cup and finish the job that he's so patently started. Uh, but the SIU took a decision to back him over Vern. Uh, I'm not sure Vern was best pleased, as you can imagine, uh, but seems to have got his head around it. And the fact that the um, the, the, the fact that the team are performing so well uh, and so for him, I think, speaks volumes for how you know, the fact that they acknowledge what he has done for them over for them over the last three years. There's been certainly no suggestion of a drop off. Quite the opposite. Mark, is it is it not yet another disaster from the Scott Johnson era though? Scott Johnson has been fairly disastrous in my opinion whenever he's gone. Now he's he, he finally gets two coaches, not one, but two coaches who want to carry on in Scotland. Surely it was not beyond his wit and wisdom to, to fix something because otherwise I have to say I'm searching desperately to find anything good he's done in his old career there. Well, this is true, and we've also got a situation that Scotland, we're the only the only country in the world where you can turn a story like, first of all, signing a coach of the calibre of Vern Cotter, but then also his departure. You can turn those into two very negative things. That We've waited a year for him to arrive in the first place when Scott was doubling up as head coach very successfully, and then um, you know a year for him to go away again. So, And in between this very positive period, which is a bizarre kind of uh, full stop put on it, um, I, I think Gregor's a Arrival at Glasgow was quite controversial. The, the current chief executive, I think, had a lot to do with that as well. Uh, and his own stock, I think, is probably pegged directly to that of Gregor's. So uh, I think they've taken a view that they want to back the Scottish coach uh, and, and hope that, that the, the rise that he's had at Glasgow continues at national level. But certainly it seems to be uh, you know, a very strange set of circumstances. Well, okay, you see, so when you see the contrast as Wales, where Gatland's been given about 20-year contract mm-hmm. and can stay as long as he likes, regardless of the results. And then, you know, Vern Cotter, who's delivering big time, you, th- you wonder what, quite what's going on in some of the officialdom. Mm. So, so, so we're, we're all agreed that Scotland are moving, uh, are making impressive strides forwards. Uh, England seems to me to be stuck or, or, or maybe slightly in reverse, but they haven't made any gains in the Six Nations, in my opinion, so far. They, they've got Billy Vanapola, who looks as if he's fit to play this week. Steve, would you start him? Would you put him on the bench? Do you think he's is he been the missing link? It's it's one of those things. Like he's such a talisman, Owen, that you you try to. But I think it's one of those things. It's not really a matter of opinion. It's they've got all these GPS systems, and they they will know exactly where he is. So it depends what their numbers show them. I think. Um, I, I I think if he's anything like fit, he, sh- he should start. But I mean, I think is he's not going to do the whole eighty. So. When whether he does 50 hmm. and then 30 or 30, I don't know. But um, I think um, the, 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 the goal will be to have him 100% for Dublin and possibly they might not start him this week. I don't know. Mark, uh, Seuss, from, from where you've been, you've been watching, you've seen the England team over the, the, many yeah. years. How, how do you rate this uh, current the, crop? The, the, the thing that struck me this season, everyone's been talking about the great strength in depth that England seem to have had or should have had and do have. I think that's been shown up slightly as a fallacy, the fact that we're talking about Vinnie Polar as a one-man sort of rescue mission. Um, yes, they found a way to win, and that's a mark of a good team because they've dogged out some victories, which you know, no, normally they perhaps sh- shouldn't have been entitled to. But I do worry that the calibre there is is not as strong as, and is not as deep as perhaps um, we all thought it was, say, 12 months ago. Yeah, I, th- I think there is strength in depth. I think I think that, that they've exposed one area where they are quite reliant. So that this is the first time they've been without Billy. I, I wonder if you take Owen Farrell out the side. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If suddenly you go, oh, we're, we're really in trouble here if it has the same impact. But if a team is as good as it pretends to be, then the, the loss of one or two players shouldn't make that marked a difference. And I think there has been a marked decline in England's performances, as we've alluded to. I, I, sorry, I, I'm going to take the English part here because um, uh, you say they're in reverse. And in terms of performance, it, there's no way you can carry on playing better and better and better than they as they did in Australia. Otherwise, you'll just explode. And, you know, I, I think they've had injuries. I think they've given people a, a run out. Um, they've now got to pick their first team, but you know there are many positions that, that they would worry about. Fullback, uh, tight head prop. I just don't think they have depth. But I think they do have depth. You know, when you lost both your locks and you're playing um, uh, uh, Courtney Laws and and uh, Maruatoji in the second row, for instance, or, or Joe Launchbury, that doesn't strike me as being too badly off. So I think you know, win is everything. They're still winning. And um, we'll forget about one or two lackadaisical performances if they go on to, to, to slam again. OK, across the team, Mark, do, do you see Scotland winning this? Do you, or what, how close do you think they get? Well, they were up at half-time uh, last time around 2015, didn't score a second point and ended up losing, I think, by 12 points, 25-13. I, I actually have to say, I, I see it along similar lines this weekend. I think England will still have just a bit too much, particularly uh, up front. Um, I know we've spoken at length already this championship about the, the Scottish grammar. It, it is an ongoing issue. I thought it was better against Wales. Maybe some of the methodology might be questionable, but certainly Gordon Reid did well there on the loose head, better than Alan Dell had, certainly in the previous two games and he also um, he's, he's got a good track record against uh, Dan Cole from the from the Champions Cup with Glasgow this year so it, it will be better they were keenly 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 desperate to get uh, Alistair Dickinson there on one leg potentially just on the bench but his latest comeback ended uh, after 49 minutes on Friday night for Edinburgh so I think it'll be Dale on the bench again and that's when I, that's where I would worry that if they're in it after an hour and then look to the bench there's not a heck of a lot there mm. Same uh, prediction? I, I, I think I think Scotland will, will, will be competitive, but I don't think they'll be close. I don't think it's one of those ones where England will be sweating with 10 minutes to go. I think there could be I think there could be 10 to 12 points in it, possibly more. Mark? I think England will win um, by, but only by about seven points. And I think then the big issue they need to redress is Dylan Hartley, that should, should he actually be playing at the moment? Because what is it? I question what he actually is bringing now to the team. 
Okay, we've got two two rounds left of the Six Nations, and then at the end of that, we all know where we'll be. We'll be picking Lions team. So we're going to go now. We're going to start with Jonesy, and he's going to go through the uh, his current Lions pick, and we are going to do our absolute ultimate not to agree. Well, come on, you can try. You can try a bit harder than that. You've got Simon Shaw down there, I see, Steve. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Experience is everything. Mike Katz, a few old favourites. DL. All right, he went, all right, here we go then. This is my Lions Test team on current form. Okay, fullback Rob Carney. No, no, um, no doubt whatsoever. I just wrote his name down. S. Hog. Mark. Hog. I just, well, it's interesting you should say that. We've debated this week in, week out. I thought he was so good against Wales that you, that you have to have him. I'm, I, I'm, I'm with Hogg as well. Right, that's fine. That's um, so old. Uh, the old um, Kiwis uh, will be <laughs> launching ball after ball up in the air, jumping above Hogg and getting either a penalty or a um, or a try. So that puts us 26 points down per game. <laughs> R- right wing Tommy Seymour. Who I just thought was wonderful against um, against Wales. He was into absolutely everything. And do your other wing at the same time. George North is my other wing because I cannot believe a great player like that can continue playing so badly. And he's had his cage rattled by the coaches this week. And be- as long as he gets back to form, I've got George there, ideal for the conditions. Do you think Tommy Bow can make a make a state of claim for the, the right wing? I, I just think you. you... He, there's a, he's such a fine player when he's when he's when he's on form. Mm. I, I've got um, Liam Williams on one wing. I don't think you can leave him out now. And I just actually don't think there has been a second outstanding wing yet. So I put down Anthony Watson uh, in the hope and expectation that he really does something. I, I completely agree with you about George North, Steve. But uh, but how long do you wait for form? Uh, and mm. He's a fingers crossed um, selection. If he gets it back, then he's got to be in. Can you see Halfpenny on the wing? I think Lee is struggling badly for gas yeah. at the moment. I really do. I just don't see where he fits in. Do in you think he's been distracted sense. by the Yarnoff move back to Wales and that sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, possibly. But I, look, some of these guys, a bit like Danny Cipriani, had such a serious injury. I don't think he's 100% back from that yet. Mm. You know, simple as that. Okay, let's go to your centres. Centres. I've got um, outside centre. Um, Sorry, inside centre, Robbie Henshaw. I just think it's, he's the best. I don't think he's great at the moment, but I think he's uh, the best in that. And I've got Elliot Daly because he's such a footballer. I've got his brilliant footballer. He's got to be in there somewhere. Mark? Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't have too much to quibble with about that. I think Steve and I have already debated Stuart Hogg at length, so I won't bore him with that. Only to say that I'd quite like to see him with Tommy Seymour as well to maintain that Glasgow link. But anyway, uh, Centre's not going to quibble too much. Hugh Jones, wild card, certainly done well so far. Again, another very intuitive understanding. He's already uh, struck up with Stuart Hogg. Excellent dummy lines that he runs as well. So I'm going to chuck him in as a wild card, but at the moment I think those two uh, those two will get my nod as well. I, I've got Farrell at, uh, at 12, but I've put him at 13 just because I want him in the team and I, I, I don't know if that combination could work I can't really see an outstanding 13 apart from that oh, I think da- daily I think should, should be at 13 I've got uh, Owen Farrell at 10 I'm very worried about lack of durability and lack of punch at fly half I just think Owen Farrell's got this supreme attitude uh, as the kind of team leader out there, the sort of person, people that New Zealand would love and respect. Scrum half, I've got uh, Connor Murray, although now only by a short head from Reese Webb because I think Reese Webb is improving after his injury all the time. So Farrell, Murray. I thought Sexton was so good you have to have Sexton, but uh, but Murray uh, uh, definitely. 
you've got to have the intuitive understanding that the, the, the Irish pair uh, are head and shoulders above. I think. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I think I, I think you should have Farrell at um, inside centre. Mark. Yeah, Murray and Farrell, I think I like the look of that combination. Reese Webb has, is standing out more and more as well in, in a relatively poor Wales team as well. I'd love to be able to chuck Finn Russell in there as an option for 10, but I just don't think his game management is quite there yet for the unique environment of New Zealand. Is this a Glasgow tour he's picking up there? <laughs> this is Somebody's the, got to stick up this, for them. This was the Lions, wasn't it? <laughs> OK, anyway, um, right. Front row, I'll have Jock McTavish from Glasgow. Or Alan no, Dell. Alan Dell, <laughs> your, your mate. Uh, front row, easy for me. Jack McGrath and Tide Furlong. I just love those lads. They're big, hard, bruisers, and they can both play rugby as well. Just love them. And who have you got in between? Uh, hooker, I've got Jamie George. I, I wanted George, but do, can you really pick someone to, for a Lions start when he's never started a Test match? It's very difficult because let's go through them. Dylan, I do think he's the best. I do think yeah. he's the best hooker, but he's the the, the least experienced. D- Dylan Hartley, the, the Scotland hooker, yeah. is tremendous. Dylan Hartley, I just wouldn't take. Well, Welsh hookers, uh, easily the best Welsh hooker is Richard Hibbard. Easily, you ask any Gloucester front rower, and they've they've they've, they've ignored him, and uh, just Jamie George, I think, and the Scotland lad will, will will be fine. Rory Best had a very poor tour in uh, in Australia with the Lions. But my front row is is Nipola, and then I've got Ken Owens at the moment. But uh, I I just don't work out, can't work out the hooker, and I've got uh, Taj Furlong as well. I think perhaps uh, you've got to look at who's going to be captain, and, and people have been mentioning perhaps Rory Best as, as captaincy material. Now, whether that's the case, so they may find themselves in a, in a sort of shoehorn into a into a situation they might not want. But I think I think Best at his best who sh- should start at hooker, and I I agree it should be an All Ireland front row. I think they're absolutely incredible to trio together. Well, my second row is Alan Wynne-Jones. I would like to see him have a better game. I'd like to see him have a really good game. Second is Courtney Laws. Sorry, I know there's loads of people, the Greys, Launchbury, Charteris, who I love, but I think Courtney Laws is becoming that nasty, edgy player we always thought he could be, and I think he's tremendous. Mark, if you if you could only have one grey brother in that in that uh, second row, which would it be? Because oh. J- Johnny Ray, J- Johnny seems to be the the, the 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 more highly rated player, but I think Richie's had a better Six Nations so far. I, I tend to agree with that actually, and he, he, as I said earlier on, I think he's had a massive kick up the proverbial since Johnny really burst through and started showing him up, because Richie was always quite a, a, you know, a laissez-faire kind of player, and he didn't have the impact that he should have for his size and his, his rugby ability. Uh, but that has changed this year there's, there's a real edge to his game now uh, another who's been forced to step up in those leadership stakes without laid law so it, it'd be a massively tough call between the two but there's going to have to be some massively tough calls between about 27 second rows so if you're asking me right now I probably would say Richie mm-hmm. And Suze who would be your second row? Um, I think Wynne Jones um <sighs> And the jury, as, as everyone says, there are so many other options. Wynne Jones, I think, is just is utterly brilliant, and the consistency he's shown over the years, he's, he's right. head and shoulders, and no doubt he probably will come into the captaincy equation as well. Alongside him, Gray Laws, I can see what you say about you know Laws and Launchbury you know, three or four years ago were going to be the greats. And the, no one mentions Marrow. Mm. Anyway, I'd have Marrow. Uh, Steve, we'll be at back row. Marrow. Oh. <laughs> You've mentioned Marrow. I've mentioned Marrow. Marrow in the back row. Uh, He's not quite... The thing is, he's not quite 
adapted to it yet. But actually, laws and marrow can, are interchangeable anyway in, in those two positions. Marrow blindside, James Haskell openside without any shadow of doubt. And if he's at his best, Falatau, but more likely Billy Vunipola at, at eight. So that's Vunipola and then Atoji and Haskell on the flanks. O'Brien, Tipperick and Vunipola for me. Nice. Yeah, Marrow, Billy and O'Brien for me. Okay, not a lot. I'm going to say, I'm here. just going to get my money no. back. Is that British Airways? Can you cancel <laughs> that flight to uh, New Zealand? I don't want to go anymore. No, but no one's mentioned arguably the standout player of the championship so far, which is CJ Stander. I've got uh, Stander at six, uh, Billy at eight, and uh, Sam Warburton at seven. Warburton, what, what, what a competitor. Warburton definitely be, definitely be there. I think Stander, the problem is with him, he's very, very one dimensional. I think he just gets the ball, runs in a certain line, and beasts it but um, he certainly wouldn't be out of place down there Warburton uh, very very close to my team indeed just fine if I can just throw in something I remember 12 years ago 205 it was an absolute nightmare do we think we're going to be more it was a nightmare it was much worse than that <laughs> I mean it was it, it started badly and went down it was the all time poorest it tour was the, it, was, it was it was it was grim do, do you think that we you know, New Zealand rugby is at that level still, or is it going to be far more competitive? No, they're not at that level because I mean that was that was when that that was the glory days of Carter. I mean Carter, people forget that didn't play all that brilliantly, just like Johnny didn't. Um, after that gorgeous sort of heyday that he had, no, I don't think they'll be as good as that. But I think England, uh, the lines will be much more organised. Um, there'll be much fewer of them. There were seventy-eight players on that trip, and the end of the tour, you, think you could have that was a little the quiz saying who was that. Blood? Yeah, that was just the medics. Yeah, there were twenty-nine coaches and seventeen bus drivers, so that was difficult. But I think this will be far more. The, what Warren's got in his favour is he's done it before. He knows the shortcuts. He knows what to do, and he can shake them down quickly. It's the, the the preparation is ludicrous. One day, all the people who've given the Lions one day to prepare for the tour will put their hands up on the way to resigning. But um, they've got a better chance than that. But I think they're very, very much up against it. Okay, and and on that positive note, we bring this episode to an end, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you very, very much for joining us. I hope you'll enjoy listening to the podcast. We'll be back in a week's time for the final uh, week of the Six Nations. <laughs> <laughs>